often we have the situation that a company has a very good product or service, but they are very uh, focused on that uh, product, not, not really on the market. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Uh, warm well, welcome to the Swiss Pillar Show. It's the first time we have three guests here in the same room, basically. We have Alex, the managing director or owner of Silverbogen. We have Lucas, the head of UBS Growth, and also Tom, uh, the head of the Ceph Growth Initiative. Uh, warm well, welcome to all three of you. It's great to have you here today. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you. So Alex, you studied business administration. Was that your clear path to an entrepreneurial life? Uh, no, not at all, actually. Um, for a long time, I didn't really know what what to do in life, so I wasn't really sure if I want to go and study architecture or being a military pilot or going for business. That's a pretty diverse option that you can select from. So what made you choose the entrepreneurial path? Yeah, I went to the army for one and a half years, and uh, there I figured out that I don't really want to stay much longer in the army as as it's a huge corporation and was not really that what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And architecture was in the end not the one study which really triggered the plug and therefore I was thinking I could do something more on my own and maybe figure out something what, what could be done in the future. Makes sense. You also come from a family of business owners. In what way have these role models also shaped your career choice? Was it sort of a pressure to also go down that path or... Was it more like, oh, yeah, I want to do anything but not become uh, a business owner? In what way has this entrepreneurial family background also shaped you? I never really had a clear path, as I said before. But the thing is, it just helped to open my eyes. So I was sure that there's something else than just having a professional career path in a, in a big organization. Mm -hmm. And that was actually more the point which was important for me, that it's something else also out there and not just the, the ordinary. Got it. And then after your studies, you chose to join the beverages business instead of the real estate company that your family owned. So tell us, how did you end up in beverages as, on, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, my younger brother, Raphael, was in St. Petersburg for a study exchange. And uh, when he came back after five months, he had four bottles of vodka with him. And um, yeah, one of them we really liked. And shortly after that, um, we started the company and started to import the first two pallets of Beluga vodka and stored them in the garage from our parents and started to sell them out. So it was more as a idea and when we started um, the university that we could also figure out a little bit what we, what we learn, um, also to try. And it was not really the big business behind it. So it was more the focus of uh, studying and trying and out and trial and error. So not that far out. And to a certain degree, you also solved your own problem. So you wanted to have more of that vodka, so you had to import it yourself. Yeah, I'm not a big drinker, actually. So it was more, we, we just saw a market opportunity there and, and thought that could play out, yeah. And tell us a bit about these early days. So you just focused on these two vodka brands, or how did it go afterwards? Like, you, you have to start somewhere, right? So how were the early days where you said, okay, we're going to really start that business? In the, in the beginning, it was difficult. I mean, we didn't have any clue who's, who, which competitors are in the market. How are, is the pricing structure? What is legal to be done with spirits? 
so that took quite a while to figure out all these steps and uh, that was the main thing and then we we figured out we have to build more brands because just one product to sell is is difficult mm -hmm. and then we eventually started to build a full portfolio got it Let's also talk a bit about the market. Lucas, as the head of the U.S. Growth Advisory, you screen companies and also spot market trends. And, you know, if we take a step back, if you look back at the year 2010, 2014, this time, basically, how did the beverages market look like back then? I know this is not your specialty per se, but I'm sure you have some analysis and, and points to share in that regard. No, definitely. Thanks for the question. So I think, first of all, market dynamics always play an important role in the assessment of a young company. Um, uh, since you have to figure out, you know, if the growth, if the growth forecast somehow, you know, uh, matches with, you know, the market growth and the potential. So, and I think back then, you know, when Silverbogen started and also a bit later when the drinks e-commerce platform was launched, they were at the right spot, right? At the right place at the right time, as you, as you say, because it was uh, really the time when, um, market trends shifted away from like mass brands and further to smaller niche brands, craft producers, which was difficult for like large importers or also large distributors to really cater for. And uh, Silverbogen found a concept, you know, how to do that and jumped into that niche. And uh, since then benefits from the trend that is still ongoing in the market. Perfect. Thank you for, for sharing these insights. One thing you also did, uh, Alex, is basically you also went online pretty early in the time. So how did you manage to go online? And was that also a challenge per se? Yeah, when we went online, we, we started to grow with a larger wholesale portfolio. And that was actually in the beginning quite difficult. Usually also the same thing with international brands. It's everything about trust to really get those brands and that you can convince them to do a different route to market. That was one of the biggest hurdles to do an appealing portfolio. Mm -hmm. And then everything else was more about getting into IT marketing. That was more a different route and it used different dynamics and insights. So the first challenge was not the, the setup of, of the online channel per se, but attracting the right brands. Yes, there was, was one difficult spot. And also, how do we really get figure out is there really a market need for spirits online? Right. So let's quickly talk about the, the brand appearances on, on your platform, basically. This seems a bit to be like the chicken and egg problem. I can imagine the big brands, they want to join your platform, but only if you have a significant amount of sales. Otherwise, it's not worth their effort. But you have to start somewhere with probably lower or almost zero sales on an online platform. So how do you convince them to join your platform? Yeah, in the beginning, it was really the focus on B2B. So we did the platform actually to solve a problem on our side because when we started with about 500 SKU products, we used or needed a, an online ordering tool because a lot of people misspelled, for instance, Tanqueray. So that really the client really gets the product he orders as there are a lot of options. And that we, we solved with the e-commerce platform. And when we were building the whole system, it was also obvious that we can use it for direct consumers. That was actually the main goal to do so. Nice. And I can imagine that, you know, the industry, the beverages industry was still probably taking place offline back in the days. Why was it a bit resistant to the digitization from your perspective at first? I mean, it still does. Last year, there was only uh, 3% online from spirits. Now it shifted a little bit more. So you have a whole chunk. So about 50% of the whole volume is going uh, to bars and restaurants and the other 50 is for private consumers. And in the beginning, it was just difficult to convince those brands to collaborate. 
also to get the right pricing to to work with them because we distribute to wholesalers to on trade accounts bars and uh, private consumers so we have three different kind of price structures and that made it not that easy in the beginning when you have low volumes to get to certain volume which we did with some b2b clients and that helped actually to to manage to achieve that for direct consumers got it and you also mentioned that you had to find out if there's a market demand for the b2c online spirits market how do you go about that because that's like you probably have a lot of hypotheses that you want to test so how do you go about the, the testing and validation of the market yeah, the good thing for us was actually we we came from the B2B side and we focused mainly on that. So everything which we added on B2C was additional for us. So we, we didn't have a structure which really cared about private consumers. And that just started. And when we saw it, it grew, then we, we added more focus to it. Mm-hmm. So it was for us actually quite good. If we just would have focused solely on, on that, that would be quite a risk and invest quite expensive also to do so. Right. So you serve the B2B and B2C market. We wonder in the B2C market, in, in your online shop, is there any typical customer that you can name? Do you have any data on this? Yeah, it changed a lot now with COVID. I mean, now, which is important, yeah, quite funny, is actually the, the customer group, uh, group 65 plus grew the most. So it's the second largest customer base now from us. Before it was like number three. And four, and um, so that's more important. And they have larger basket size, typical silver servers. That's, but they order everything. I mean, you can sometimes they order the, um, everything which has black bottles or golden bottles. Sometimes you find only glassware or gins. But then you have clients they just reorder everything, gifts. So there is not a specific client who orders just like this bottle and that tonic for it. So it's, it varies a lot. That's very interesting. I wouldn't have expected the 65 plus age group being your, your largest one. How do you actually acquire them? Do you reach them on, on Facebook with social media ads or how do you acquire them as customers? Uh, usually we, we only spend marketing money on, on performance. So we just track it and optimize that. So we don't really invest in branding. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, a lot is coming from Google, retargeting and uh, yes. Fantastic. So we would also like to address some challenges. And therefore, we have Tom from the Swiss Economic Forum here. You're the head of the SEF Growth Initiative and assess numerous companies every year. And I just wonder, what are usually the biggest challenges that you see in SEF Growth companies? Well, it mainly comes down to three things um, all the time. So first thing is the, the cash handling is, of course, always critical. And uh, as a young company, you don't always have necessarily a CFO in place already. So and, and you're always short a bit, right? So starting a business. So that's one critical point which we always address. And so the other thing is uh, that market orientation, which is not always given as in the case of Alex now, who, who did really understand how the market goes, especially the B2B business. So often we have the situation that a company has a very good product or service, but they are very uh, focused on that uh, the product, not, not really on the market. So if it's if this is really the product that the market needs at that very moment, or maybe the market is not ready yet for, for it. So right. this this is often the case. And uh, third thing is the, the team building is often going a bit behind so you should there you should think ahead and, and build up your team before you actually need it you know when, when you came coming to a growth phase it goes it goes very fast and you need stable structures and so this is a thing we, we always see as a big challenge fantastic so 
Let's also figure out how you solve these challenges, Alex. Uh, we talked a bit about the product market fit, that this was a natural shift for you to go online. But I can, I can imagine that the cash handling and also the team are still challenges that you had to solve along the way. So how do you go about the, the cash and liquidity management at your company? I mean, it's still a, a challenge today. <laughs> I mean, we grow quite fast every year and therefore our warehouse grows uh, on the same pace. Obviously, we can optimize several things, but in the end, stock levels are increasing. So that's something you always have to optimize with suppliers. Where can you have shorter delivery times? What do you have products you can sell with higher margins to optimize to get a better cash flow on that side? So it's, it's daily business we, we need to optimize. And team-wise, you know, as the company grows, you usually also need to hire more people to be able to also grow as a company. How do you handle that challenge? Yeah, it's not only about more people. It's also about people with the right mindset. And in every stage, you need different people. In the beginning, we had more people. They they were like really hands-on and could handle everything like all-rounders. And today, it's we're shifting more into specialists. They, they're really strong in, in their part. And that also is, is was quite different to do the whole change from from the early stage to today, and uh, it still is. And the whole company is, um, is is key that people also bring their own people around and, and motivate themselves. So it's every team is is rela- depending on itself, and and that's actually uh, the big challenge for for the company. But it we have a, a great team, and therefore I'm I'm very happy about that. And every day when when we work together, that's that's great. How many people do you employ at the moment? At the moment, we have 30 full-time employees and 10 freelancers. Great. And in what areas do you now you know, start to specialize? Like, what are the areas where you say, here, we really do need the specialist and not the generalist anymore? It's, I mean, IT department, obviously, then finance. Uh, it's a little bit everywhere, actually. It's not that we have so many positions anymore where we can have uh, all-rounders. Sometimes in the warehouse it's it's possible, but it's still there. You have a different kind of jobs and, and stuff you need to solve, but it's it's a little bit outdated from the stage now for us. You know, many other startups face the same challenges of, you know, finding the right people to join your company. Do you have any hiring or recruiting tips? Like, where did you find the right people to join uh, Silverbogen? Or how do you actually assess them if it, if it's a good fit? Any tips on the hiring part? <laughs> at the moment we just found two new team members on LinkedIn and it was actually great but it also depends on which level you're looking for for warehouse people uh, I mean there is jobs.ch uh, where you find a lot of people but if you go more high level it's I think definitely LinkedIn and how do you do that do you like do a, a custom search and then say okay these are interesting profiles let's get in touch with them or do you make a post and then people get in touch with you? What's your tactic there? There's a LinkedIn uh, with career page, something like that. Right. So you can figure out all that. You get all the CVs. So you can manage everything from there. So that's that's great. And you just need to pay for the advertising to, to spread. Perfect. I think that's a good takeaway for other startups facing the similar challenge. Tom, we also see that the markets change, you know. Looking back at 2010, 2014, it's probably not the same market today in 2021 anymore as it was back in the day. So what trends, what shifts have you seen uh, happening in the beverages market? 
Yeah, we did a bit of research also based on statistics of the Federal Customs Administration. And um, so what we see in general is that the consumption of alcohol is, is decreasing a bit over the years. And um, as far as I am informed, the spirits um, are around 20% of the consumption. Uh, so it's mainly beer and wine, which, which is um, consumed. And um, there is around 20% of domestic um, spirit products and, and 80% still imported. But it's interesting to see for domestic products that in, in Switzerland, um, the number of producers is in, in the kind of the classic spirits like Flumli and stuff like that. It's, it seems to be going down. Mm-hmm. But um, so there's, this has been a shift to gin and whiskey uh, producers. And a, a lot of them are very small businesses or so micro businesses. And so the market is getting more and more fragmented. And uh, this is a challenge for all these kind of supply chains. And this is where Alex is stepping in with his knowledge and uh, logistics where he can, it's, you know, it's perfectly fitting his solution to, to the market development. Great. Thank you for that input. Alex, we heard it like the, the consumption of alcohol is slightly decreasing. Is that something that keeps you up at night and you think, should we go and diversify to other markets and other products or how do you deal with that? Yes, that's, I mean, that's, that's true. The only growing part we have uh, is that more people are coming to Switzerland. Um, but, I mean, we really focused on the premium segment and that's actually still growing quite a lot. And also with one of the largest uh, assortment in Europe, we, we can really figure the market need out that, that we can solve those requests from clients that they really always have something new. And therefore, we are actually one of the best addresses to, to go to in Switzerland. Did you adapt or change your strategy in any ways from, you know, back in the beginnings to now with these changes happening in the market to a more fragmented market? Did that also require any strategy changes or adaptions on your side? Yes, definitely. I mean, we started as an exclusive importer for, for one brand and we, we figured out to do more brands because with just one brand, you can't pay your bills. And then there, we just saw the, the whole premiumization that there are so many brands are popping up that we need to, to evolve also our strategy. How can we change that? And therefore, we, we moved our focus from just being an importer to also being a wholesaler and uh, providing this kind of distribution to our B2B and B2C clients. Great. And you also recently achieved a milestone. You expanded to Germany. Um, I can imagine, well, being a milestone, that can also be a challenge by itself. So how did you pull that off? How did you manage to expand to Germany? And why was it the right step for you? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I never really wanted to go abroad because I always wanted to be, I mean, to build out our national market and, and be strong there. But what we figured out more was there was no real uh, European platform which sells everything throughout whole Europe. And there was quite a big market need, especially from uh, producers. And that actually was the idea to step in to do and build something like that because we built quite a strong IT uh, system on our side and we could um, scale it out um, to Europe. And Germany was actually the best test market to do so. And how do you go about that test? Do you just say, hey, um, let's roll it out from, from Switzerland and just test it and acquire the first sales? Or how do you do such a test? Because you still have a, a physical product to ship. It's not like software where you can sell it to all over the world, basically. Yes, I mean, we try to do it as lean as possible. So we did a um, customs de- uh, declaration digitally and we, ha- we shipped them out from Switzerland and had a logistic partner collecting all the parcels every day from, from our Swiss warehouse and bringing them to DHL in Germany. 
that was quite a hassle in the beginning and it was was also not that easy with the, the whole custom situation and um, but it showed that there was a market need and also our platform will work and uh, we, we figured a little bit out how the German customer is is taking and what's different and then uh, in March last year so one year later we found our daughter company and now we have a two and a half thousand square meter warehouse in uh, Krefeld near Düsseldorf. No, that's probably the logical next step that if the test is successful you have to take right? Yes right. So in, it was already in 2016 when you actually submitted an application for the SF High Potential Quality Label. So my question to you, Tom, why should startups participate in the SEF Growth Initiative? Well, as the name says, uh, says the program program focused on uh, growth, SEF Growth, so growth companies, so a bit uh, late stage companies. And um, so we, we see a lot of offerings in the market for early stage companies or companies who are not even founded yet. So... Um, but for this segment of growing companies, uh, th this program is designed. And um, we work with experienced entrepreneurs, which we have a wide network in uh, the Swiss Economic Forum um, network. And we bring these senior managers together with young entrepreneurs so that they can discuss their strategy and, and challenge that and also the financial plans and uh, what makes sense, what doesn't. Mm -hmm. So that's the main thing uh, about the program, actually. And uh, as you said, you can actually win uh, this, this kind of award, this, this quality label, which basically says that uh, this group of entrepreneurs thinks or believes in, in the strategy and in the potential of the, of the company. And so with this label, we also have a wide range of partner offerings that we then can address to, to these companies to support them for example, with uh, our main partner, UBS, but also with uh, our other partners. Perfect. And Alex, why was this program appealing to you? Why did you actually apply in the first place? I mean, obviously, financially, it was for us quite difficult to build the whole presence and, and the big uh, assortment we had to, to go along. And um, for us, it was a big challenge just to get some credit from a bank. And that was actually our main focus. Yeah, so really to solve this cash flow problem that we mentioned before. Yes, right. Fantastic. So Tom, you also invest a significant amount of time in actually the selection process of, of these companies. So how does that process look like and how do you actually assess a company? Can you talk a bit more about that? Yes. So first off, what I have to say that the program is basically it's free of charge and it's it's open to, to, to everyone or to every kind of company. But of course, there are some kind of KPIs which, which you should bring along. So as I said, you should be in a growth phase or entering a, a growth phase with your with your company. And you do have to bring along a first customers and, and you also need a clear positioning in the market. And you, you have to bring along a plan that actually shows your, your growth potential and how you want to finance that. So these are a couple of KPIs we are looking at when when a candidate um, comes in and uh, after that as, as I said it's the the, the main aspect is this um, assessment we, we're doing with these entrepreneurs we bring along and we have a catalog of around 40 criterias which we uh, then uh, assess and discuss with with the candidates and there is also a written uh, a written report after this assessment um, for the candidate to, to really see it's like a 360 degree analysis of, of, of the company and the strategy and the team and the financial plans and everything it takes. So but that's, that's the process. Is there a certain revenue size that you would recommend like below 1 million revenue doesn't make sense to apply for the program or anything of that sort? Yeah, we, we usually start around half a million revenue a year. Okay, perfect. 
Now, Lucas, uh, we heard it, UBS is uh, the founding partner of the SEF Growth Initiative. And one of the benefits is also when you receive the Swiss Economic Forum label, you also get access to funding or to credits by UBS. So I'm just interested, why is UBS partaking in a project like SEF Growth? Yeah, so um, as we said, I'm back in 2012. It's already more than eight years ago. Um, UBS was the founding partner together with the CEF. Um, and the motivation was manifold for UBS. You know, um, obviously, first of all, we want to strengthen our positioning in the SME and startup market. And as the largest Swiss bank, we also want to show like a clear commitment to, to entrepreneurs in the growth phase. And uh, we thought we are predestined to, to do this, right? And the whole offering as it is today, CEF growth is still innovative today because at the end of the day, um, it allows companies to get funding credit at a stage where they would usually not get any credit in the open market. So I think it is still a, a very unique program targeted at uh, growth stage companies. And clearly, CEF as a partner was uh, also uh, one of the motivations uh, due to the strong reputation of the organization and the high profile industry experts and entrepreneurs they have in their network. Fantastic. Just a side question here from my side, you know, despite the, the top quality vetting and the also receiving the award and the quality check basically by multiple really established entrepreneurs and people, has it ever happened that the plan didn't work out and that you then had a bank loan that was not paid back? I mean, actually, it did happen, but uh, very rarely so. I think, you know, when you look at uh, young companies, of course, you know, um, the risks are higher, right. obviously. And yes, it happened. But uh, overall, if you look at the whole portfolio, it performs very well, you know, and that is um, at the end of the day, a uh, proof that the selection process works and that we are actually getting the right companies, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really impressed by, you know, the amount or also the companies that have been selected. It's really a top quality selection and also really de-risks the whole selection that you make there. So I think that's great. That's true. I mean, it's really across all sectors, you know, that plays a big role, um, uh, different type of business models with different risks, risk profiles. That's, of course, also key if you run such a, such a credit portfolio. Yeah. So in order to get the CEF label awarded, you had to, you know, vet them and, and assess them. So Tom, what made Silverbogen actually stand out amongst the other applicants? Well, I mean, he was a, was a really a first mover in that time when, when he applied for, for the SEF procedures. And, um, but, but what we heard is that he's very strong in, in the B2B business. And, um, he re Alex really understands the, the market needs, which is one thing I mentioned before is, is very important. And, and he already showed that at, at this time. And now, uh, the last couple of years, he, he's proven right that, uh, he had the, the right direction. And of course, an online business always has advantages uh, regarding also for the B2C sector with the, the range you can offer. And so there are many, many advantages in, in his business model who were already could be seen at, at uh, this point of time then. Is there any killer feature, any USP that you particularly liked among the application of Silverbogen? Well, basically that he is doing business with, with B2B and B2C sector is, is, of course, helping him, as we heard also now in the COVID situation when, when B2B was a bit lower, so B2C could jump in and, and he's really strong in, in both sides. And as I said, he has a very good and profound understanding of the market. And I, that's maybe the one point that really stands out. Got it. And Lucas, from your perspective, how do you assess Silverbogen's potential? What do you think is, you know, still possible for them? Well, I think um, uh, there's still a lot possible, right? I mean, uh, Alex 
already pointed out some of the strategic moves he's making. I mean, first of all, you know, the, the track record and the growth trajectory of Silverbogen is really outstanding. Um, if we see how it developed and also how um, the budget and like the forecasts were almost completely met. I mean, we see this uh, not that often, right? I mean, uh, so that's first of all, you know, <laughs> a big congratulation also to, to Alex. And uh, I think, you know, the company is still on the pulse of the trends, right? Um, and, and that is key in this market. And then it has a clear focus on its USPs, which is, um, you know, excellence in logistics, for example, you know, good uh, understanding of online marketing and, you know, again, stay up to date with the assortment, the offering. They recently introduced wine, you know, to enlarge the average basket size um, even more. I think, you know, there's a lot of interesting uh, expansion potential still ahead. And uh, with the new fulfillment center warehousing in Germany, it is a big step, you know, um, to enter a market that is uh, many times bigger than Switzerland. And, you know, we heard it before, the bank credit was one thing that you were able to, to help them with. In what other ways has UBS been able to help Silverbogen along the journey so far? No, I mean, UBS is a, is a, has a full corporate banking offering here in Switzerland. You know, um, SEF Growth is an initiative targeted at the companies, you know, in the growth stage, you know, before they, let's say, become a regular credit client. That started back in 2017, this financing relationship. But um, of course, there's other services that um, we can help with. You know, um, first of all, when you expand abroad, you know, you have FX um, topics, you have uh, payment transaction topics, you know, um, when it goes cross-border. Um, currency hedging is an example, you know, um, that becomes more and more important uh, when you uh, operate internationally. And, and last but not least, um, uh, we also support in strategic transactions, you know, naming fundraising, M&A, or also potential exits, you know, of founders. Yeah. Perfect. So Alex, of course, we also want to hear from you, your perspective. So how have you actually benefited from the CEF growth initiative so far? Yeah, in the beginning, it's as a young founder, it's always tricky to, to be enough solvent to get credit of a bank. So everyone just looks the past and you can't really offer that much. No. So with the whole CEF uh, high potential label, it was turned around and it was not the past which was validated and it was the potential and that was actually the big advantage we received with it. And you know, usually you also get quite some press coverage if you get that label awarded. Did you also, you know, see any spike in online traffic or anything of that sort? We were not that strong in 2017 then, but it's, it was great, I mean, to get some trust from, from B2B clients that was more about about that. Also with the SQS label you receive, I mean, it was helpful for us in, in B2B clients, yes. So it's basically a, a signaling and a trust builder also in that regard. Yes. So now we are also very curious what your plans look like for the future. So you enter Germany. Do you plan to expand to any other markets or roll out further north to Germany? Or what are your plans uh, with Silverbogen? So now we, we still have a lot to do in Switzerland, obviously. So we just started in November with wine there's going to come a lot more we're going to enter also other categories then yes germany is one part and as i said i mean we try to to build a european platform so there's more countries to grow in next year so we'll see which countries coming up exactly and you know lucas also mentioned uh, the other strategic options that uh, ubs uh, the growth advisory offers so do you also think that a potential exit or uh, the M&A process of another company or even fundraising would be an option for you in the future? Exit is not a, an idea at the moment. I mean, there's a lot to learn and to try. 
So that's actually the main key, which is the driver for me. So it's not about having a bigger company or something like that. So it's just about what can you learn? What are the next steps? That's that's important. In other markets, we, we're going to build our, our companies from scratch because we just have different processes. So I don't think it's it's worthwhile for us to to acquire another company to do that. But you never know. It can always change fast. So it's always good to have some know-how in the back end. Right. And, you know, about fundraising, is that a topic that's also keeping you busy or is that not relevant at the moment? Uh, it's always a topic, but we never gave out shares. So that's we don't want to enter that space. Why not? I don't know. It's it just in the beginning, it was not possible because as a as a distribution agency, there is no one really funding you. Then when we started as an e-commerce company in the beginning, we, we had a lot to prove. And then we had self-growth where we, we had uh, the investment from uh, from UBS. And then the next stage, it was already that far out that they really never, never had uh, this, this topic. And today, I just would like to keep the independency we have and also the freedom about that because otherwise we would spend a lot of time for investor meetings and following up and keeping everyone on track and um, that's also great for the whole team because everyone can decide on their own and everyone feels more entrepreneurial in in their job too so that's why it's important to keep it that way well really big respect and congratulations on on that decision that's really impressive thanks Lucas, we heard your strong offering with the UBS Growth Advisor. So where would you like to support Silverbogen in the future? You know, do you have any focus area where you say that would be a really cool case to work on together? Well, look, uh, as I mentioned, I mean, UBS is an internationally operating bank and we can offer uh, a lot when it comes to financial services for, for corporate clients um, here in Switzerland, but also abroad. You know, we, for example, also have corporate client desks in the European Union, in the US, in Asia. And so there's a lot of potential support options here. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it depends on the strategy of the company and what they really need. I mentioned the couple of product options before, you know, but there's, of course, you know, many options for us to support them. And uh, yeah, we're happy to be the banking and financing partner of Silverbogen. And uh, of course, look forward to to continue supporting uh, the growth story of the company. So are we. It's an exciting journey that lies ahead of us. And the last part that we have prepared for you are some rapid fire questions. We're going to just start with you, Lucas. I either give you a choice or a short question and you can Make your choice or explain it in one sentence. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. So for you, is it rapid growth or profitability? It depends. It depends on the founders and the investor strategy, I would say, right? At the very beginning, definitely growth because you need to reach a critical size. Tom, for you, bootstrapped company or VC-backed company? <laughs> Maybe one after the other. Um, so I think bootstrapped is uh, interesting to see what you uh, actually really created yourself with your limited means. And um, But at a certain point, of course, it can be good or necessary to move uh, for a VC backing. Right. And for you, Alex, Switzerland or Germany? Mm, Switzerland. Just now. because the roots are here. Um, yeah. But Germany is, is interesting as a new market to discover. But... Um, I mean, the heartbeat is for Switzerland. Makes sense. And the last question is for all of you. Let's start with you first, Tom. What's your favorite drink or spirit? <laughs> well, I go with the market trend and stay with beer usually, but uh, sometimes I like to taste some whiskey or uh, rum as well. What is it for you, Alex? Negroni. 
Perfect. And Lucas? I'm more in the field of Tom, so I will probably, when I'm thirsty, prefer a cold beer. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today and for the great discussion, conversation. Tom, Alex, Lucas, thank you so much for taking the time and for being here. Thanks thank for you. Us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.